I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Diminishing the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind in the business Got me stressed in the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds Got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the rent room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriter's Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it Wakanda on this show right here. <laughs> See, if Chris is here, it would sound like a chorus in this motherfucker right here. <laughs> uh, y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Like I said, Chris Derrick uh, will pop in in just a moment. You guys know who he is. Lisa Bellacaja is, um, she's, I think she's on a panel somewhere at some, some film festival or something. <clears throat> but um, we are excited about the show. So um, if you guys are grown, let's just go ahead and get right on in. So today, is that my phone going all crazy right on the damn mic? <laughs> you think I'd be professional by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> Let me get mine. It's usually me. <laughs> it's usually you. I have like, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, oh, it was me. <laughs> It happened during production a couple times. Actually. Oh, no. Why I was looking around like, whose phone is that? Like, turning my phone silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Ugh. So, if you guys are grown, well, let's go ahead and get into the show. So, today, we got my man on the show, Joe Talbot, everybody. Writer, director, producer himself. Co-writer. Co-writer. Forgive me. Co-writer. No, no, hey. Okay. Gotta give get, my, you hey, know, you gotta give my people pet. credit. Yes, 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 please. We'll get into all that. Um, co-writer of the new movie, everybody. You gotta go see it. Trust me. I saw it the other day at, at a private screening. It was freaking amazing. Um, it was blown away, and we'll get deep, 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 deep into it. Um, the last black man in San Francisco. Um, my man, Joe Talbot, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, man. Yes, of course. It's a real pleasure. And to be with someone who spent time in San Francisco yes, in the West, too. Yeah. Why you got to say spend time like I was in prison and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no, far from it. Exactly. So well, yes. No, go ahead. So let's go a little bit back into your history. Like, I know you're from the city, but there's people who don't know, like, a little yeah. bit of your background, like, how yeah. you got into the game. Well, so I grew up in San Francisco mm-hmm. uh, on my mom's side. I'm fifth generation San Franciscan. Wow. So we go back. Um, Let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. You ever go times where like months go by and you never leave the city? Never leave the, city? the crazy thing is, before I came to edit the movie, mm-hmm. the longest I'd ever left San Francisco for my whole life was one week. What? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. I, so wow. I, I dropped out of high school. I didn't go to college. Right. So I watched a, a lot of my friends when I was like 18 leave the city, you know, to go off. Some of them mm-hmm. never came back. Um, but it's a weird feeling. Yeah, I've like walked some of those streets, some of the ones in the film actually. Right. So many times, <laughs> you know, it's a it's it's odd to finally now have it be like committed, you know, to, so to you, film. So you probably lived all over the city then, huh? No. Or in a in in, in all in Mission Bernal. Mission Bernal area. Right. Yeah. So that's where I grew up, Bernal right. Heights, like right there, Presidio Park. Right. Um that's where I actually met Jimmy when we were kids. Right. Um and we would see each other around Presidio Park. Mm-hmm. And at first, as Jimmy always says, it was like a silent <coughs> acknowledgement. Were you skating too? I wasn't. Okay. I knew a lot of skateboarders. I had friends right. skateboarded, but I was more like the kid with the camera. Right. 
Oh, even and back then. Okay. Even then. All right. Yeah, yeah. And Persita was like, you know, you played sports. We'd like, you know, uh, break into Leonard Flynn, which was the elementary <laughs> school, play basketball on the right, weekends. Right. Not do anything bad, just to, <laughs> just play basketball. Yeah. But we don't um, have no real parks. I mean, not you got to go places to go. You to go the park. far. Exactly. I know. Um, so it was, you know, it, it, and, and it was a very different neighborhood when I was growing up in a lot of ways. Um, Proceeded Park in general, you know, mm-hmm. that now is like ground zero, I think, for a lot of what's happening, the changes in San right. Francisco, the mission, right. you know, in particular. Um, but I also grew up on Are you stories. saying it's getting gentrified or something? What are you suggesting? No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. No, that's not what this film's about. <laughs> not at all. No, I mean, it's, you know, well, the weird thing is, the one of the more distressing things is, you know, you grew up in San Francisco, you're aware of it because you're seeing it, you know, firsthand a lot of the changes happening. Right. But what's scary is to go back and read about, you know, the city's history. Right. Going back to, you know, quote, urban renewal mm-hmm. in the Fillmore, whole blocks being bulldozed, mm-hmm. you know, there are Victorians where African Americans were living. You know, there's a story uh, of Willie Mays coming to San Francisco, yeah. already the Say Hey Kid, this legend. And he was turned down when he first tried to buy a house in San Francisco. Willie Mays. Willie Mays. Interesting. So it's a strange thing. You know, I think we love our city. Mm -hmm. um, And that's a part of what this film is about. You know, we say it's like our Valentine to San Francisco. But we also have a lot of problems with our city. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, Jimmy has said this before, but sometimes, you know, I think the city that we love, it doesn't feel like it loves you back. Right. I think there's kind of a line in the movie at some point, too. It's because, close, yeah. Yeah, it's close. But, like, like for instance, um, not not to give anything away, but there's there's like that cool moment on the on the bus with the two white girls who are, yep. like, total gentrified white girls. Yep. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know, we need to get out of the city. Yeah, yeah. And he just looks at him, he's like, you don't even have the right to say that shit. He just went in on him, like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think it's like that thing, anytime you've bled for a place, you've spent time there, not even just natives, but anyone who spent significant time in a city, you feel defensive when right. you hear people outside of it be critical mm-hmm. and treat it like a playground or mm-hmm. just somewhere that they come to for a little bit of time and then just scurry off, you know? Right. And so I feel like it was interesting, though. Uh, one of those girls is Thor Birch. Really? And so I grew up, I loved Ghost World. It was one of those mm-hmm. movies that, like, you know, just stuck with me. I saw mm-hmm. it when I was, like, very impressionable young teenager. <laughs> you still yeah. a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, but, you know, it, it was funny. It, like, I when I reached out to Thor to do it, mm-hmm. you know, we joked that her character was almost as if, you know, Enid from Ghost World never got off the bus, got a, <laughs> got a job in tech that she hated. That's funny. You know, and, and uh, so it, it was it was interesting, but it does come a lot from that feeling, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, of just like watching your city become increasingly unfamiliar. Right. You know? So let's talk about the origins of, of the story. So this was inspired by, was it something that the Jimmy had written or what, what was it? It was, you know, parts of it are pulled directly from Jimmy's life. Okay. Um, he had lived in a house as a kid mm-hmm. um, with his whole family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Similar to the house you guys had in the movie? Yeah, as a Victorian in uh, DeBose Park. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> it was, you wow, know, well, for that's, him. That's a good area right there. Beautiful area, yeah. you know. Uh, Jimmy talks a lot about DeBose Park, you know, back in the day right. being such a different place. You know, dice games are now replaced with Labradoodles, <laughs> you know. Good money. 
And in a way, it's similar <laughs> to Presidio Park, mm-hmm. which was Norteño territory when I was exactly. growing up. And now yeah. you see the last family. A year ago, it was like the last Norte family at the park, mm-hmm. and they just lost their place. Really? So it's like... Uh, How's it going? How you doing, man? Joe. Chris Derrick just walked in, everybody. <laughs> it's Joe Tablet, everyone. Yes. <laughs> no worries. Unless you're watching your movie. Oh, wow. Well, good enough reason to be late then. <laughs> yeah, I just got out of, started about 10 minutes late, so I was late. So. No worries. Great Probably. movie. Thank you. Great movie. So we're just going in uh, his, his past in San Francisco. Stuff like that, yeah. And the so, origin, the origins of where they came up with the the movie there. Yeah, I was just saying it's pulled, you know, <laughs> uh, parts of it from Jimmy's actual life, mm-hmm. and and living in this house, this Victorian house. After his family lost the house, they moved all over the city. Uh, he spent time in Hunters Point, mm-hmm. Alamany, um, and uh, on Army Street, right, which was right down the street from where I grew up. Right, and so when we met as kids. You know, not long after he started telling me this story of his family, mm-hmm. and we always we we actually been making movies for a long time. Really, uh, Jimmy starred in a few. I saw, movies. I saw there's like one short or something you guys have that there's are on the. Yeah, there's a short we did a few years ago, right. but then you know, Jimmy in high school was starring in this okay. thing. I'm actually in that one from high school. I'm a terrible actor, so I learned my place behind the camera, <laughs> as far behind the camera. It happens. It happens. Exactly. You, you show up on screen and get embarrassed, and you're like, okay, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, hold on. Exactly. Yeah, people would be like, Jimmy's so good. I'd be like, well, what about me? They'd be like, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. You were you, you cool. Uh, the directing was good. But, exactly. Uh, no, but, you know, I, I, I definitely, that was my, my first and last time in front of the camera. But Jimmy, you know, it's a funny thing because he was just like, it's funny when, you know, I feel like my friend's talented. My family, you know, our families are. I think he's a superstar. That's the thing. Well, when people start seeing him and saying stuff like that, you're like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm obviously biased. I never feel like he's acting. Him and the other guy, I forget the other guy. Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Okay, so I I mean, see, because like I had to rush out, so Mm -hmm. I didn't get to see the credits. I just saw the like first three credits. So, and I know that. um, that Jimmy wrote the movie with you, mm-hmm. and so he's in the so he's in the movie. That's him. He's a star. Okay, that's him. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that's, he's telling his story. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, he's fantastic. Oh my god, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of really, um, you know, I I, I happen to see it with um, Ayanna Floyd, mm-hmm. and uh, who's a showrunner on um, uh, The Shy. She was there, and she was, we just were like, this guy's amazing. <coughs> so. Um, I have. I, yeah, I wish she was here to hear this. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah he's really, oh, she, she'll listen to the yeah, show. She'll listen to the show. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you know because like he, um, he had, you know he is. The, the, I remember one time a friend of mine had worked on on um, Charlie's Angels too, mm-hmm. and he was like one of the and he was like a background player. It was it was an actor, but he was like one of the like featured people. And he was like, you know, one of the things that happens that's so tough is. Um, and the scene he did like was with Bruce Willis, and he was like, okay, and, wow. he, and he was like, okay, so when Bruce comes on the set, mm-hmm. like you know something about him, he doesn't say anything, but you know that he has the shoulders to carry mm-hmm. a movie, mm-hmm. and it's a very specific kind of like unspoken skill set. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that's what Jimmy has to do. I mean, he carries this movie right. yeah. in a very like specific way that um, so he's and, in almost every scene. He's in almost yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's in literally almost every scene. <laughs> yep, um, he's amazing. Get, yeah, he's amazing. scheduling he had I think like half a day. Off. Really? He was like, I, I don't have to come until ha- like <laughs> noon today. You yeah, know? I can sleep. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, like that was. I think that's one of the many things about Jimmy. You know that I'm. I'm so proud of him. Like he's one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. He like t- 
to for people that know like you guys in making movies how hard that is just to get the stamina right you know to be there 25 days you know being as vulnerable as he's being Mm -hmm. um and and then just dramatically to like carry a movie it's a hard thing for anybody but especially for a first-time actor at this level Mm -hmm. you know who's only before this been in my shorts that we made as kids yeah I, i mean there's a I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a really... It's hard because you just want to talk hard, about it. It's hard. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, say this scene because um, it's a few scenes so you won't know what's going to happen if right. I tell you this, but the scene when he when his mom shows up on the bus, I was oh, like, oh, yeah. damn, yeah. that's really good. Yeah. That was really good. Like, <laughs> well, like he just... Um, he's, you know, just the look in his face when he, when he recognizes his mom... Um, Boy, and they almost looked alike, which freaked yeah, which me freaked out. Me I was out like, too, which freaked me. I mean, I, they had like the same nose or something. Like, I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was like, that person waited to him, <laughs> like right before it popped out. He's like, hi, mom. And that scene is such a well. I tell you, he looks at things differently. It's though. such a well crafted <laughs> scene in terms of like how. I mean, in terms of like how you you know like like you know, they meet, and I, and I love it that you that you that you just have them share the frame in the wide shot, and the rest of the mm-hmm. conversation is just back and forth on their heads to keep them really distanced, mm-hmm. and it's and and and, the, and and it tells you so much about their relationship, you know. I mean, just what they say, mm-hmm. but it's all in their body language and the way you like photographed it is is really really strong scene and it was just I mean that's, that's one of those things I know as an actor yeah. it's like how do I do that mm-hmm. well you, I'm not a, I'm not a, I, you know I mean four, he's probably what, four or five takes I don't really know what it is but you watch it and you're just like like you were saying about the stamina mm-hmm. he's gotta get up and he's gotta do this scene right and I mean and, and yes he's acting against that woman but the camera's right there in his face and too it's tight it's well, real tight yeah. you know so that's the thing with that so that's his real mom oh is it oh, okay. well there you go that's Jimmy's real mom no, ain't that a bitch and that's why, you, like you said, yeah. they have the same nose. Yeah. They look so much alike. And that's based on something that actually happened. Really? Wow. That actually happened where he saw her on the bus. They hadn't seen each other for a long time. Um, and she said some version of that line. She says at the end that I think, you know, it guts you when, right. you when you hear and when I first heard it, which was, oh, my God, you're taller than me now. Mm, right. Um, because they look so similar. Mm-hmm. And she, when you meet her, she's such a kind person. She's like really warm person in a lot of mm-hmm. ways but you know um, they also have a complicated history right. and oh, so oh yeah oh you know, it's, it, I mean, you, you it's, called it's, out too just <clears throat> what they like that was important I think we wanted to shoot it in that way I'm appreciative that you you picked that up of you know it's it's uh, it's these singles back and forth of them and they're staring down the barrel of, of the lens which beyond sort of like I mean they're not actually even looking at each other. So hmm. there's a camera separating mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So it was remarkable for his mom even to be able to convey that emotion because she's right. have her son to look right. at and react to, and she's never acted. Mm-hmm. But I think for them, you know, we want you both to feel the the clear um, how much they look like each other, mm-hmm. and in some ways, how much he is his mother's son, while there is also this distance between See, them. And that tells me how good of a director you are that to know. That actually on this side of the of, of the land, she wasn't even looking at him, right? That means you were guiding her. You know what I mean? Telling her what you what you needed. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I think a part of it. Um, you know, I was I was I was trying to yeah to be supportive. I knew this was going to be hard, and a part of it was Jimmy was was really sweet with her mm-hmm. and was like really encouraging to her and saying right. you know trying to be like mom you know this is one thing that helps me mm-hmm. when I'm doing this. It was really touching to see him be that way with yeah. her. See, that's set. interesting. That's, nice. that's really fascinating because 
well, like one of the things that I remember, I want to say it was Helen Hunt hmm. was saying that when that when she did um, as good as it gets, mm-hmm. she was saying that working with Jack Nicholson was such a delight because he gives you so much. Mm. He's giving you as, as I mean, so so when it's on your close up, it's mm-hmm. on you, he's giving you as much energy as possible to, to make you be better. Right. And it's interesting to know that that's what well, that Jimmy being a first time guy. Yeah. But he's obviously acted a lot before. Mm-hmm. He knows that it's like it's so important to support the other actor. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, yes it's his movie, but he's got but but the movie, but the scene's going to work because of how good she is in the scene like off of him. Mm-hmm. And it's really it's really it's just remarkable to see that kind of work. I mean, obviously, one of those things, too, that I always say about, like, you know, that there's so much of your job as a director is just casting right. Mm-hmm. And, and casting his real mom there is kind of like, she may not admit it to you guys up front, but but she knows that scene that you drew that from. Exactly. She knew that in her head. She was like, damn it. And so it allows her. It's kind of like like it's like that, there's that tightrope she's got to walk anyway. Right. But she knows the net is not even that much closer mm-hmm. because it's a familiar scene for her. And it's, I'm you not know, asking her to stretch and say, "Hey, right. I need you to do right. the Star Spangled Banner in three octaves lower kind of thing." Be like, wait, wait, hold on a minute. That's a little much. Right. But no, I mean, look, I mean, like I. Um, oh, that just occurs to me. Let's tell let's tell everybody what the movie's about. I'm sorry, we didn't get to that. Yeah, <laughs> forgive me. Sure, no, no. <laughs> um, it's it's you know, uh, in a way, our love letter to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's Jimmy Fails um, is trying to get back the house that uh, his grandfather built. Mm-hmm. So he's grown up on the story that his grandfather built this house that he lived in when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and he's accompanied on this journey. By his best friend, mm-hmm. a guy named Montgomery Allen. It's played by Jonathan Majors. Is that based on a real person too? There was a person that okay. um, we met named Prentice hmm. early on in this, and I, we started to think about what a friendship could look like between Jimmy and, and Prentice because right. they're both so different, right. but also great San Franciscans in their own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, it sort of took on. There were other people who he pulled from for right. inspiration. He became sort of like an amalgamation of these different things. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, I mean, when we met Jonathan, uh, me and Jimmy always call him an honorary San Franciscan. Mm-hmm. He's not from there, but he feels like he Dude. is. And he was so able to, he took whatever was on the page to some whole other level. Yeah. I think it's would have been easy to play that character as more of a caricature, make him sillier, mm-hmm. um, goofier. Mm-hmm. Nerdier. Instead, nerdier. All, that, right. all the things that, you <clears throat> right. know. I think in someone else's hands wouldn't have made it feel quite as real. And Jonathan just understood that this guy was supposed to be um, a wonderful San Francisco original. Mm -hmm. And And he had a wonderful father. Well, well, okay, so there's there's a a few... uh, this, this, uh, see, I just this is. I know it's hard. Like, so I much. just watched it. I just, just like, oh! t- I just want to turn it off you and know, talk to him. <laughs> because, so I mean, to me, I'm just like, hey, so it's like um, there's those scenes where Mont is like, uh, this was interesting to me because I kind of know this in, a, in from my own experience, like the scenes where he's like trying to be blacker. In right. the mirror, right. you know, like he's trying to yeah. say the lines, like the way and everything. Mm. And I was like, God, that is like it's <laughs> a fascinating kind of like touch because you know, because like he's grown up in that neighborhood, right? And those guys are always out front mm-hmm. of his house all the time, but he's still 
an outsider mm-hmm. because of what he's into. And, yeah, it's and, an and, underdog story. It's a really For sure. Jonathan says he's the subculture within the subculture. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's yeah. something he said yeah. before and, in interviews about and, it. And I relate to him 100% too, just, just like you do, because where I grew up in, in Palo Alto, you know, it was a gang neighborhood. Right. And, and well, kind of like Hunter's Palo Point. Alto? He's, he's, he's Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so, but I was into the mod punk rock scene. Hmm. So I'm riding around on scooters with 60 suits on and shit wow. in that neighborhood. So wow. I understand him. I was the weird dude there. What got you into that music? Um, I, hang, I used to hang out with him, with the homeboys. Mm. And we, used to, we used to break dance down in, in, by Stanford University, and we ran into, uh, at, the, at the place called The Varsity, used to be this, uh, they played Rocky Horror and Quadrophenia every weekend. Wow. So I used to run into these guys, and one day my homeboys left me, and I had nowhere to go. Wow. So I started hanging out with them, and then mm. was with them I still to this day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I still got my scooters, still yeah. got you know, all that shit. I mean, I think, like, I'm curious in, uh, what your perspective is on this, because I mm-hmm. feel like a big part we always say of growing up in San Francisco, Francisco is because it's such a small place, but there's so many different kinds of people. Right. You're constantly like um, around growing up with dating different kinds of people, mm-hmm. different backgrounds. There is that natural crossover that right. you see, you know. Uh, and so because of that, you you have people like uh, Montgomery's character, right. but also people like Jimmy too. Mm-hmm. Jimmy was skateboarding back in the day when that wasn't as common to see right. black kids on skateboards in San Francisco. Yeah. Now yeah. it's interesting because yeah. it's changed a lot. Um, the added irony to that is Thrasher was founded and remains in Hunter's Point. Does it really? It's like, a, yeah. I never knew that. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Are you I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask you something hey, about Thrasher because I, I might be wrong in this so someone could, so someone could fact check me but I want to say Spike Jones is, is behind Thrasher. Mm. I'm sure he was probably involved at some point or something in the creation of materials for them, but it's actually, it was a guy named, I believe, Fausto Vitello, hmm. and uh, he passed away, and now his son Tony runs it. Um, and Tony's a great guy. He reached out to us, so basically Jimmy and I were talking about this story sort of informally mm-hmm. for a long time. About five years ago, we shot a concept trailer, which was essentially Jimmy skating through the city from Hunter's Point yeah. back to the Fillmore hmm. and telling his grandfather's <clears throat> story that inspired the movie. Mm-hmm. For us, we did it in part because I didn't know how movies got made. You know, it's my first one. Right. I'm a high school dropout. Um, Jimmy, you know, other than being in theater productions in high school, had only been in my movie. So we, we knew, okay, this is going to be hard to get mm-hmm. this movie made. It's an ambitious movie. Right. So we shot this concept trailer. We put it online and it became this accidental calling card. We started getting people writing us from, from all over the mm. world, you know, saying, oh, I relate to this story, but a number of people in the Bay, and they became sort of like our film family that essentially helped us make this thing. And he was one, Tony wrote us at one point early on, we were in Thrasher, and he was like, how can I help? Wow. And so one of the many things they did, you know, they were just really supportive. Like, you got a couple hundred grand, bro, yeah. Well, first I was like, you got, does Thrasher want to produce it? And he's like, no, we don't really do that. But, <laughs> but, 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 this, but there's good products. Can we use this, skateboard? But, but there's good yeah. product placement in there. So this is interesting because I know Kalia. Okay. Yeah, well, Kalia was one of the first See, okay. people. And I had met with her. Our hero, man. Yeah, I met with her last October about, because I wanted to, because I was, I was see if she wanted to produce something I was working on. Um, and because Chuck, well, Charles, as she says, but, 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 but we call him Chuck because he, he's in my writing group. Oh, wow. And for the last couple of years. And so it was interesting because she, 
I'm just gonna segue right this because it's interesting you bring this up about like the, the she like she and her and her friend Kat Kavari. Yeah. You probably know Kat. Yeah. You know, just they, like they talk so much about how the 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 there's this camaraderie in the Bay in terms of what people are trying mm-hmm. to do to, to create their art to do the art in a way that I think is so it's so different. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her it was like it's so fascinating because you know it's so close it's so close to Hollywood. But it's so far away. <laughs> That's right. so true, but at the man. same time, it's like oh, but it's still like the home of like American Zoe Trope, and still the yeah, home of Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. But it's but I I to me it felt like I always wanted to see this kind of voice from that that came out of San Francisco mm-hmm. sooner, you know. But it's interesting, it's all coming out now. Like this is coming, this came out now, and last year was Boots. was blind spotting and yeah. boost with this thing. Right, yeah. So it's interesting because there's a whole. I was telling my brother about this the other day. There's like there was a style of filmmaking. That defined New York in the nineties. Right. Mm-hmm. That was very specific. It was mm-hmm. very New York. That kind of disappeared when indie film kind of dried up. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see that that's that's now. I feel like that's now coming out of the Bay right now. Right. Yeah, you know, there's this like unique style and the voice that there's this. Uh, I, 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 it's not like us against the world, mm-hmm. but there is this. It's got a rebellion to it. There is this kind of like 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 uh, I guess it's this camaraderie. Mm-hmm. Kind of this this. It's very strong and it's very evident, you know. Yeah. So. No, I think that's real. I mean, I think out of the anguish of what's happening, you know, both San Francisco and Oakland, there is this like camaraderie, like you said, that forms because as there's fewer and fewer natives left, we're kind of banding together. And um, I think, you know, like you said, I mean, Kalia, Kalia was one of the first people that reached out to us. Hmm. And. She was certainly the first like official person that reached out <laughs> who had actually had some experience making mm-hmm. movies. I met with her the first time, was trying to seem like as presentable as I could. Right. But I was just so excited because I was like, wow, this person's like the real deal. And, you know, part of it with Kalia is for you, I'm sure you know this, knowing her, she's just like a great human being. Mm-hmm. Completely. She's just such Completely. a like real person. I feel like I trust Kalia you know, as much as anyone I've met. That's important. And that's something, I mean, I was so spoiled for that to be the first producer I met Mm -hmm. because I know a lot of directors who haven't had that Mm -hmm. same luck. It takes a long time to find that perfect person. I can speak on that for (laughs) for days. For days. Yeah. Days. Literally days. Right. But it takes, it took that, that's I think part of why people that are, you know, for people that do see the movie and respond to it, it comes from those kind of connections that were formed that we were really lucky. And I think, you know, Part of that is because people saw Jimmy's story and it it just spoke to them. Right. You know, his true story and seeing him not, you know, that he wasn't this actor, like mm-hmm. you said, but that he was someone that had lived this, I think it felt unique. And it extended even to set, like, years later. So Kalia and I spent years trying to get this made. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard path at times. Um, but even by the time we, we finally got to set... Um, people who we looked up to like Tashina mm-hmm. and Danny who's yeah. from San Francisco right. Danny's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. an icon everyone growing up in San Francisco has a Danny Glover mm-hmm. story right um, yeah I do too yeah. right yeah. it's like we've all seen him around yeah. and yeah. you know it's <clears throat> like you cherish those moments because mm-hmm. not only is he a great actor but he's a great activist and right. that's part of what makes him such right. a great San Franciscan and you could, you could tell he was happy because number one y'all gave him some meat to play Right, mm-hmm. which is what we all try to do when you're writing. You're like, you're gonna get a star. They're gonna be like, "Ooh, I want to do this." Right. I mean, it's, you know what I mean? right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, I'm watching this movie and 
I'm like, God, it's been forever since I've seen him play Murtaugh. And I just, <laughs> yeah. just kind of feel like he doesn't, as talented as he is, he doesn't get really meaty roles now as an older actor. And it's mm-hmm. sad because, you know, he's so talented. Yeah. He and, and he's... Oh, he committed to and, that and blind he's got, character. He's dude. got the, <laughs> the range and everything. Ooh. And... Um, it's it's I, I don't know he I mean he, it's exciting to have him in there I I, I wanted to there's two things I wanted to bring up too because uh, people the fa- let's not forget the dude who plays his father too uh, Jimmy's Rob father Morgan. oh, oh, my oh, God. oh he's Rob great too Morgan. he's great too but I, I was forgetting his name because he but see, yeah. it's funny because he's got a look that's similar he's got a similar like look, he's got a phenotype that's similar to Jimmy's and the mom right. like I, re- I like there's one of the things you see the mesh you see the mesh one of the things that I I always like, find. <clears throat> Uh, strange about some movies is like, oh, this is the family that you cast. And I'm, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm kind of like, but the, the kids don't look anything like the parents. <laughs> right, or blah, right, blah, right. Blah. Yeah. And it was fat. And that was a fascinating thing. Right. But, uh, but fans of this podcast know that I always talk about music. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's, and that's the one thing that I was talking with Kalia about just last, she was at this Christmas party. I was at, and she was like, oh yeah, it's like so hard to find music because you put the wrong music in, it can like ruin something, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I thought, and I, and I kind of felt she was, her, her subtext was that, that, that you guys were, were, that you guys fought really hard to find the right music for this movie. Oh, and I thought it was yes. really, really fantastic. Like that, just the, the opening, the, the, like the opening cue mm-hmm. just kind of like sets what this tone of this movie is going to mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. It's really, really fascinating that you guys, um, I love the fact that you guys didn't use like any pop music oh, God, or, yes. or anything like that. It was all, I mean, there's like, there's great acapella stuff uh. and, and it just kind of like, it, it makes, it transcends the, what the film is, you know, it, it, it takes scenes and, and brings them higher. Yes. It's really, really Agreed. fascinating. I appreciate that a lot, man. I, I've said, I mean, so much of that is Emil, Emil Mosseri, pardon me, our composer. I mean, I looked, we looked far and wide for the right person because music was so important. I mean, it was before we even wrote the script, I was writing some music to try and help me flesh out the world as I wrote to Mm -hmm. try to kind of envision it. And, you know, with Jimmy's story, it's in a way this kind of mini epic, right? It's this man, this deposed prince, like trying to get back this, his family throne essentially. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted that big lush music, but indies often can't afford both in budget and time to do that, you know? Yeah. And so we knew, Kalia and I talked about it, how important it was, but how difficult it was going to be. And, it, you know, ultimately um, meeting Emil, I mean, it's like, it's hard to imagine anybody else. He really understood, mm-hmm. like, how to give it that regal feeling, that mm-hmm. big feeling. Mm-hmm. Like he always says, coming close up to the line, you don't want to go into the cheese, you know? <laughs> That's what he always says. But it's like, we did want to have melodies that were almost singable, um, because I think the scores that I grew up loving, like, you know, uh, Michael Nyman stuff or uh, Randy Edelman, Trevor Jones, who did Last Mohicans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Danny Elfman, you know, you walk around singing those, those melodies, and in a way, they made me want to make movies as much as any director did. Mm-hmm. To be honest, it was so mm-hmm. important. Well, you know? well, okay, like, Chris I, can talk about look, scores I, all look, day I, <laughs> I, I, I hard to agree with you because mm-hmm. a lot of times that I'm writing, I find soundtracks that I love mm-hmm. and I put those on to kind of like to bring me to a space where you know like it's an underrated soundtrack and it's an underrated movie but it's one of my favorite soundtracks is the score for Conan the Barbarian that mm-hmm. you know that's, that's written by um, Basil Paul Dourif she listen to it because it's this it's it, I bring it up because it's it talks about it, it's thematically what you just talked about this guy who's lost mm. his throne and he's trying to get it back and the score in that it's very 
It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's so powerful, but it starts off with a guy who's, who's turned into a slave, but you know that his life is going to be, he's going to be a king. And that's kind of like this undercurrent with the music. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for how it, it, it helps you tell the story in a way that it says, who's this line? Who said this? Uh, David Lean said, the music tells you the emotion that the pictures can't. Wow, you know, when well, he was working with Moist Jaw, yeah, yeah, see, yeah. God, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's so if so, someone like that, and you go, oh yeah, yeah. So now I'm gonna look at his movies and see how he how he uses the music, and it does like bring these scenes mm-hmm. up in a way that there's buoyancy already there because of what the stories and what the actors are doing, but now it becomes this like this iconic moment, mm-hmm. and I love the, I mean, I and the and the the cue you guys have at the end of the movie, that little montage is so like it it like. It like it puts you on wings as you're trying to go out of this yeah. as the story's mm. closing out. It was really, really, um, it's just a beautiful moment for me watching it. You know, so no, thank you, man. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> I was just talking. We were talking to Tim Grieving earlier, who writes about music, and mm-hmm. he was saying, you know, for a long time. He felt like he witnessed people doing the opposite, running from music because they didn't want right. to, you know, risk making you like feel manipulated into feeling something. Mm-hmm. And it, it did become, I felt like, a trend for at least a decade. But it's nice to be, you know, with, next to music lovers right. here because I think when you love it and when it's right, it doesn't. It's it, to me never feels like when music's big and it lands. It doesn't feel manipulative. It, like you said. And like Lean said, it, it hits some other part of you mm-hmm. that the images are helping grow towards. But it music gives you can goosies. be that last. Yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. It literally, right. yeah, you feel that yeah. when you feel that tingly feeling right. in your spine, and that's the beauty and sort of I think also the maddening thing about music when you're working on it. And Emil and I went back and forth a lot um, because I'm very sensitive, and so one chord change in a direction that doesn't mm-hmm. feel right to me can take me out. I can be almost on the verge of tears and I'm like, oh, I, uh-uh. So it's like a lot of back and forth right. needed, you know. He was so great to to <laughs> to engage me in that way because I feel like, you know, again, with not a lot of time, it's like you get two rounds of revisions, that's mm-hmm. it. But with Emil, what we were able to do is I'd, I'd edit something with David, my editor, and Emil would compose something and we'd go back and forth. I'd like I'd make adjustments in the edit and uh, ask him to make adjustments to the music, elongating certain chords. And so after doing that five or six times for each cue, we were the hope was it would feel like it was integrated into the movie instead of mm-hmm. being plopped on top, right. which I think is typically what happens because you picture lock and then you score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to me, that's crazy because like, yeah. well, you can't then change the picture. What if the picture needs to move? Right. The, the right. score shouldn't always move for the picture, you know. Well, you know what? I, I I agree with you. It's a it's a. There's a few guys who have the luxury to, um, you know, to 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 show the 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 edits mm-hmm. like to the composers. But a lot of guys just want to see the final thing and figure right. it out. I mean, mm-hmm. a certain guy, you know, like I remember there's a story that when Hans Zimmer did this score for um, for Interstellar, mm-hmm. um, you know, he was kind of talking about like he was he, he wanted to kind of back away from doing these big movies. He'd done all this stuff with Man of Steel, and he did the this and he did the three fat Batman films with Chris Nolan. And Chris Nolan and, and he was just was telling him what the movie was going to be about, mm-hmm. and and they're there. He's like, hey, we're there in Malibu. He's cut to my cut to my stage. He's telling me about the movie, and I just feel his emotion, and I just go and kind of and this piano chord comes out while he's there. They, they haven't shot any of the movie yet, 
Hmm. Wow. And he's like, I need you on board for this. And he kind of plays in this, like, like the main melody of Interstellar. He 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 figured it out just by t- talking to Chris mm-hmm. Nolan. But you he know, before, some before John they even shot, shot. Like yeah, before they even shot anything, wow. you know. And it was wow. and, and, and Nolan was like, it was great because then I have this music cue in, it's not, head, in my like, head the whole time do. when I'm shooting certain scenes. Because yeah, what you know, because there's guys who talk about this all the time. It's like they'll play music in the head of the actors are on set to kind of like to let everyone know mm-hmm. this is how I want to have this feel mm-hmm. and I'm going to edit it this way and it's like it's it's very interesting I mean yeah, I, I know your thing about you get two revisions and, and it's so hard and, and, and you're right it's, it's so you see this a lot on um on indie films or, or you feel like they didn't have enough time yeah. with the score yeah. and, they ha- and and what they have is good and it works but you know that if they had another two or three weeks they could have done something right. just to push it a little more so it's true I think um, you know we had we were lucky a very musical group sort of behind the film Jimmy and I one of the first things we bonded on probably even before movies was music we would share music mm-hmm. with each other we were growing up and Jonathan plays Mont. He's so musical. He came to set. He was always playing Van Morrison, playing different music to kind of get into the character. Mm -hmm. And one of the people that he played was, before we were even in production, was this guy, Daniel Herskadal, who's this tubist. I Hmm. believe he's Norwegian. And he makes his tuba sound like a foghorn, Hmm. which is like, you know, sound in San Francisco that you hear often down by the water, especially in Hunter's Point. Mm -hmm. So... I loved it, and I had we'd been talking a lot about you know how to take these old ballads from San Francisco's kind of golden era in the '60s, musically at least, of Jefferson Airplane, right. um, you know, and of course the Scott McKenzie song, you know, San Francisco. And yeah, I when I heard that, my favorite with, 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 with that, with that oh version of the movie, that, the version of the, I was guy like, I want to buy this the, right. That guy now. singing it was dope. We didn't even uh, keep well, that's keep the going. thing. No, so so. So Jonathan played me this this guy Herskadal, and I was like, he's the best. We have to get him. So we wrote Daniel, and I was like, Daniel, can you do a tuba version of this Scott McKenzie song? Hmm. And so he sent me back that loop before we went into production. Really? And me, I played it for for John. You know, we're both sitting there getting emotional listening yeah. to it because somehow this guy who wasn't even in San Francisco, I never even I haven't met Daniel in my whole and still to this day, hmm. but he created this sound that we used that we listened to. And then, of course, it became the backing track for mm. Mike Marshall right. when he sang it in the film. And, you know, Mike is someone, I mean, he's amazing. He's the voice of the Bay in a lot of ways. He sang I Got Five on it. Right. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. sang Rumors. You know, was all he, these rumors. Was when he one of those, I don't know why I always, when I saw him, you, you're right, though, I always thought he was one of those cats you saw on the subway. You know what I mean? It felt like that to me, which is why I think I enjoyed it more. Cause it had that echo. It just had that reverb, that sound. Right. Well, well, his yeah. voice in the movie yeah. bouncing off those Beautiful. buildings. And hey, because he has that booming voice. We just did our premiere at the Castro. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a surprise performance where, you know, for those of you that don't know, the Castro has this, this old organ yes. that the organist comes out and plays before every movie. Um, and so at the end of our movie, Emil, our composer, rose up from the ground on the organ <laughs> as a surprise. And Mike Marshall started singing, really? you know, San Francisco. Oh, but his man. voice filled the whole theater, this 1,400-person wow. theater, because he just has that beautiful mm-hmm. voice. Um, and so it was like, you know, working with him was... 
incredible because if you're from San Francisco, I mean, probably most places in the world, mm-hmm. you all know I got five on it. Right. Yeah, it's like right. a classic. Yeah. I love that little part in the movie when he does it. He's like, oh, he's kidding. <laughs> right. That was just <laughs> I So before you got here, Chris, we were we were talking offline, and I was telling him I was telling him that I was from the Bay too, and stuff yep. like that. But I was saying, you know, I had to give him a lot of kudos on the on this movie. Chris has been talking. We've been talking about this for three or four years now about we need more movies like this, right? One of the things that struck me, and you can tell me your, your point of view, that struck me was as soon as, like you said, first frame, I was like, hmm, this dude's got a vision. When they took off on, that, on, on, that, on, the, on the skateboard and we were rolling with them through town all the way through the Fillmore and all that, I was like, holy crap. Oh. And I was like, whoever is shooting this movie, and I didn't know you at the time, Joe. I said, whoever is shooting this movie, they have two things, access or money. I th- I'm sure it was money. I mean, I'm sure it was access, right? So what I mean is- <laughs> I wish is, it was money. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure it was access. What I meant is, and Chris and I know, we've, we've both shot tons of things. You are always trying to figure out how to be unique, right? And I felt like in this film, you weren't even trying to be unique. You were just going- What's the most unusual shit that we can get that nobody's really seen in San Francisco? Well, you know what I mean. See, uh, we I, haven't been in. Hold on one second, one second. We haven't been in Hunters Point on the docks on the on that what they call the little the little Bay Area or whatever you call mm-hmm. it, where that nasty smell coming up from the Bay yeah. is right. I've seen it. We used to be out there, you know, back in the Bay on our side in EPA, you know, with that shit. You don't want to eat the fish; the shit is nasty, you know. But you want to be out yep. there. Trying to catch them because it's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, but I got the, it, it, I was like, this dude knows the city. Mm. You know what I mean? And then let me just add, and then you can jump in. The way you shot Jimmy on the board, on the skateboard, I was like, see, he's got a history of shooting skaters on skateboards too. Mm. You know, because you could see, um, you may have had a stunt guy from time to time, but it felt like you were riding with Jimmy. Hmm. You know what I mean? You agree? I mean, look, I agree on every level. I, I mean, to me, I was, I was telling, telling Ayana and Tamika when we walked out, I was like, I knew this movie was going to be something different when there's in the skateboard scene, the first skateboard scene. Mm-hmm. And that white guy is running up with him. He's taking his clothes off. And I was like, okay, hold on. San Francisco, hold on, dude. Hold on. This is where this movie's going right Tell now. Him, he was in Sorry to Bother You, actually. Michael Summers, great really? Oakland-based actor. He's okay. the boss oh. in Sorry to Bother You. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta love Michael but, Summers. But, but yeah, see, this, okay, so my, uh, the, to me, the San Francisco is in my head right. is, um, uh, the, uh, it's, you know this fucking movie is Bullet, right? Okay, right. So, okay. So Bullet stays in my head a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forty Eight Hours is up there yeah, too, right? Yeah, okay, so those definitely. two movies. But, but and, and the thing I said, in my, and I think of this all the time because it's something that Michael Mann had said. He said, you know, he loves shooting in L.A. because the challenge for him is how do I shoot a town that's been shot out, right? Mm. And that's why he loves. And so that's that's always a challenge for him as a filmmaker when he's shooting him something in L.A. But I was like, oh, but San Francisco hasn't really been shot out at all. But but I don't want to see what I normally see right. when I see San Francisco. Right. And there was a shot in that movie, in your movie, that I loved because it was such a such a unique shot 
of San Francisco. And it was just, it was, it was, and it was just, it was, uh, it was, and it was, so it was a shot of Jimmy skateboarding. It was this really, really wide, long, long shot. Down He's coming on the thing, right, and it's yeah. like, the, okay, there's the hill, and the bridge is way in the back, right. all kind of partially obscured by the fog. Mm-hmm. But just like that shot. It's like Gary Trip with a tree. That's California. It's such a beautiful shot. Yeah, it's right. such a beautiful shot. I mean, there's a, there's a, I think that street, or not that street, but like, but, but those type of hills like that are mm-hmm. used in that, in that part of the chase scene in Bullet. And I was like, motherfuckers don't know how to do this that much, you know, because right. it's, it's dangerous yeah. to, for shooting, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of a, a car chase. Right, but, right. but, but the way you did it, it just, it, it just, there's those touches like that in the film. Like, there's these little, I would say they're like beauty shots mm-hmm. of the city. And you said mm-hmm. earlier that it's like, this is your like love letter to San Francisco. And there's very few films that, um, that, that the filmmakers are doing that. They're telling mm-hmm. their story, but they want to make it a love letter to their city. Right. And I know that Amelie was a love letter to Paris mm-hmm. when, when, when uh, Jean, was it Jean-Pierre Genet made that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like he's doing anything special to show us Paris, but he is. And this is what you did with San Francisco because I kind of felt like... There was another show that, that well, it's because there were so many exterior shots. Yeah, there's a you lot. Of I mean? It was it's a nightmare for somebody's it's first it's movie. It's a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Potentially a lot. Which is why, yeah. which is you why know. I stay with. You had to have had access. You yeah. had to be like, I know, I know, I know my dude who, he, the, I know the mayor, I know the sheriff. <laughs> like you know what I mean? It Boy, had what? to be some access. Well, 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 but, but it's like you know the thing I love about it is, you know, there's no Chinatown. Right, and I love that because it's like ah, that's what that's what you would when you think of San Francisco. That's what you think about. And right. I, I mean, honestly, there's a movie, there's a TV show that uh, that that no, I don't know if you saw this TV show that almost nobody saw. Maybe like ten years ago, maybe a little longer. It's called Sucker Free City. Spike, yes. Spike, and it was this thing that was supposed to be this like series that whatever happened. Hunters it, Point, Chinatown, Chinatown, yeah, and it was this great little. It's, and it reminded me, I mean, when I watched your movie, it reminded me of that in a sense because it was like, oh, here's this issue where we're looking at San Francisco, not the wealthy people like in Pacific right. Heights or shit like that or, right. or the downtown or the tech industry, but it's like, this mm-hmm. is the real people who live here and what they're going through, through this uh, uh, this urban renewal process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that scene when the when he's when they first are moving in and the white guys there and he walks over <laughs> and starts talking to him and the white guys there and he's like, "What the fuck was this all about?" Because it, it's this moment where I was like, "That's right!" Like this is what I want to see because this is a guy who doesn't understand what's going on, doesn't mm-hmm. need to, mm-hmm. but it feels more just like I'm 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 deep into this city in a way that I that that, that I want to see and I haven't seen. And that's where I was thinking the whole time when I was coming over here, I was like, what is about this movie that is 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 unique, is is feels the like, start to figure out what I talk to you about? And I was like, Oh, you know what? It kind of, the, the the movie and this is a, in a good sense, it feels like a novel, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm watching it and I'm not, and I say that because a lot of times you watch movies and you as a writer, I get like I get caught up in I'm seeing the clockwork of this of of of, mm-hmm. of, of the screenplay, mm-hmm. you know. And I watch and we, and and so mm-hmm. and so with a novel, you know, there's a clockwork in that too, but you rarely see it because you only read a few pages at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was unfolding that way, it was this very kind of like if it, 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 I'm not saying it felt meandering, but it felt like. Like I wasn't aware of where we were going. Hmm. Yeah, you didn't know what yeah. was going to happen at the and, end and, at all. And and and, yeah. and and that's what was so exciting <laughs> to me. And I didn't know. And and when the and when the play went on, I was like, "Where's he going with this? This <laughs> right. is going to be interesting too." Right. And it's like, and, and it's just, and 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 it's, and it's that type of. 
filmmaking and storytelling that I feel is like is missing from a lot of stuff that we see today because there's I'm not I'm not even sure why but I just feel like I mean the movie was lush in its use of colors which is something that people don't use a lot today particularly like stuff at night and Mm -hmm. stuff in the day I mean that scene with Rob what's his name what Rob Rob Morgan yeah Rob Morgan that scene at the dinner at the the table with him when Mm -hmm. they're like making the fake He's bootlegging shit. I was like, this motherfucker's up here bootlegging. God damn it. That was hilarious. hilarious. It was such a good scene, you know? Um, So, I I don't know. I mean, like, I can't... um, You see, we enjoyed the movie. Yeah. Because we ain't even letting you talk. We're just letting you go. This is a treat. No, it's a treat to, like, I mean, that's when you make something and you get to hear people talk about it, you know, hearing what they responded to, it obviously means a lot. Um, I really appreciate that for you guys. I think that, you know, you're naming a lot of things that are true for us. Like... Bullet. I mean, everyone in San Francisco, you grow up, you know that chase scene, mm-hmm. in part because it's as famous as it is infamous for how, you know, geographically incorrect it is. Exactly. They're in North Beach, and then next shot, they're in Bernal. Exactly. And I hate to admit this, but our route in the beginning, our own sort of, you know, yeah, you jump. Bullet, that was a we're jump. jumping was a, a little jump. bit, too, yeah. in different places. But it was, you know, I mean, Jimmy and I walked around San Francisco a lot mm-hmm. growing up. San Francisco is a great walking city. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy skated. And, you know, Tony from Thrasher talks about this often. San Francisco, you know, <clears throat> is a place where your skateboard can take you into different areas that you mm. might not go otherwise. Interesting. And I think it becomes this kind of vehicle mm. into different mm. parts of the city right. for people to skate and into different communities. And so I think for us, um, you know, you have these places that are special to you that you want to incorporate into your first movie when you get that chance. My mom and I, when I was a little kid, um, we would drive to elementary school across the city mm. and um, a small public school called Corlillenthal. Mm-hmm. And um, when we would, we couldn't afford a, a proper Victorian, so we'd pick out like our favorite Victorians oh, yeah, along yeah. the route, our dream houses. Yeah. And one of them is the house that is now Jimmy's house in the film. Really? Mm. And so it's interesting because we spent over a year looking for that house. I mean, even having grown up in San Francisco it was hard to find the right house because mm. so many of those houses that we used to point out when mm-hmm. I was young or that Jimmy and I would, would find on our walks had been gutted. You know, they'd either right. been, had the whole insides mm-hmm. removed, all that. It's ornate, all modern the inside uh, now. Exactly, right. the, the granite tabletops. That's all I would say, but we'll wait offline because I didn't want <laughs> to ask you something, but I don't want to spoil too much. Yeah, uh. <laughs> no, but that's, it's sadly common. So it was like, it took us a long time to find and sometimes even we'd have a location that we'd find or one that we knew growing up. We'd write it into the script. Mm-hmm. We'd base a scene around it, you know, and we'd go back and it would be bulldozed. What? Because San Francisco is just changing so quickly. Right. This happened right. a few times. So it was hard. It felt like we were chasing ghosts, mm. you know, mm. Uh, mm. all around San Francisco and scouting. And I think for our process, that was particularly important because... You know, we wanted it to be this, like you say, love letter to San Francisco. So the locations do have a, a an importance right. in that. Um, and shout out to your production designer, whoever the oh, fuck John they are, shit, man. They killed it. It's amazing. She's uh, Bay Area Outside, based. inside, I mean, it didn't yeah, matter. Yeah, Everything it's, it's, was just... It, it, I mean, um, Mont's room so was so, yeah. like, like a... It's just this, this archaeology exhibit into this guy's mm-hmm. head. Yeah. And it was oh, so fascinating. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. I mean, when you first see it, you you, you know, you use a wider shot you have, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's when he's... 
unpacking and, and, and he's talking to Danny and you see more of the little items and yeah. there was that the art on the wall art and, and, the you, weird. and something that uh, stuck out to me there I think he was saying something and, and then there was like a playbill in the back and I was like right. oh shit that's like right. all these little touches right. and I was like this is really dope yeah really was, really dope no I think I mean Jonna that I'm so glad you mentioned that scene in particular in Mont's bedroom because that's another one I mean talk about like you said mm-hmm. knowing people and having friends in the city it took a whole it felt like it took the whole city to make this movie right. so as we were looking for an interior for Mont's house uh, I had a friend named Theo Ellington and Theo and I have been he was actually one of the first people that I made movies with in high school mm. he went into politics and actually ran this past year for supervisor from mm, Hunter's okay. Point mm-hmm. um, but that's Theo's childhood home. Really? So Theo was like, oh, you want to come see the apartment? You know, I grew up. So we went there and it was, you know, at that point, no one was living there. It's on Third um, Street in, mm-hmm. in Hunter's Point. That's the hood right there. <laughs> and Danny, Danny Glover had lived very closely there. He was telling yeah. us when we got inside that house. Um, so it was, it was interesting for him coming back. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, that room was just, was totally bare. And it had to feel like, like you say, we're seeing Mont's sort of interior um, in his interior inside of him, right. you know, uh, realized through all of this very particular furniture mm-hmm. and collections of playbills and uh, playwrights, photographs mm-hmm. of playwrights he oh, loved. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he had... She, the, she yeah, really well, understood yeah, that. Yeah, because you had that... that um, uh, he, the, the mirror had, like, James Baldwin and all these people, that. like, rolling yeah. up on the yeah. side. It kind of mm-hmm. felt like you could go into those... Um, Canada Lee. Uh, in like a dressing room and people usually have the light exactly, bulbs there exactly. but you have these photos I was like right. I, I was like this see again that felt real to me because it felt like something I did when I was a kid mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. I mean it felt I mean like what he was doing like felt so immediate to me hmm. and I rarely it's just, I, I have this weird thing with people all the time about like you know seeing seeing something that is representative of you on screen. Mm-hmm. And literally, I've rarely seen anything that's repre- that was representative of my life on screen. So, so, mm-hmm. so typically, I don't look for that to, to, to movies to do that for me. I just go, you know what? Someone's telling their story and they're going to do it their way the way they want to. And, that's the, and, and, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to follow in. If you're going to mm-hmm. do whatever you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. But seeing what this guy did, it was so, I mean, because he had like the Moleskine notebook, which I always have. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the art, the art in it, which I used to do. Mm-hmm. He yeah, has the, yeah. the, the, there's the paintings, there's the, mm-hmm. the, the, there's the, the, the colored pencil, the Conti crayon. I was like, mm-hmm. damn, dude, like, you like really <laughs> this real oh yeah. you know that's such a man it really means a lot to hear that those details like stuck with you because that was a part of you know it took us five years to get this movie made and mm-hmm. and, a, and a part of those years was trying to make sure that we captured all those little details because you know the, the movies you love growing up they present such a sort of both magical and believable right environment on screen that they transport you in there you know i didn't travel a lot as a kid um and having not left san francisco very much in my life movies were a little bit of a, a way into you know mm-hmm. a different existence even just watching you know period pieces it's like you know getting to sort of escape into that is special and so we really wanted to make sure we captured those details and you know it was such a collective effort mm-hmm. i mean jana with that beautiful production design Jonathan, you know, being like, these are the playwrights that Mont would love, right. who he needs to have up here. Rob, um, one of our co-producers, 
you know, who was a guy who sketched on Bart all the time and was like, there's a very particular way you sketch, you know, uh, you're when you're watching it. Yep. Yeah. And huh. the moleskin, that was him. Um, Daniel Lee, our locations manager, you know, making sure that we could. Big shout out to them. Oh, this, Daniel Lee, man. I mean, he, because we find places, you get, you get so used to that thing of you find places you love. Mm-hmm. Like I said, in our experience, sometimes they disappear before you can shoot there. But yeah. even when they don't, to lock them down is a whole other thing. Right. It's a whole other feat, you know. I don't know if there were any places that we brought to him that we loved after years of scouting mm-hmm. on our own before we hired him that he wasn't able to secure. Yeah. And that is a hard thing in San Francisco. Yeah. But Daniel bled for this movie like everyone else. He mm-hmm. said to us at one point, you know, this movie is had a special place for him. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of people came on and kind of gave that. I, I was starting to say this earlier that, you know, we met Tashina and Danny and, and Mike Epps, these mm-hmm. people that like are, you know, larger than life right. for us. No one acted that way. They I were say, so no, you humble. You can feel nobody. Nobody gave you no attitude on no, the set. It was crazy. Tell. See, it was, yeah, like, it was, I didn't expect yeah, that. Or they, even you know, this is what I love about that. That's what I love about these type of movies. And, and it, it, you feel it from you. You feel it from on the screen from these performers. Is that it's not a paycheck for them. The passion that they have for like. You know, this is why I want to make movies. This is why mm. I want to be an actor. This, this is why I wanted to, right. you know, be a cinematographer. So I want to be personal. It's like there's this passion that always. They always say about passion projects, and they say, mm. that in the, and, you, and you, a lot of times people hear, oh, the, the director and the writer want to do this for years, right? But everyone else who's going to get on to make that succeed mm-hmm. has to find their reason that is that is their passion project right. too, absolutely, for, like for it to succeed. Because I was, yes. was going to ask you, like, like well, what was the production schedule? Seven twenty five days. I'm not going to ask you to budget. But there was just like I mean there was some crazy stuff in there that I was like you guys I'm watching I was like right. okay you guys are out on the street a lot you travel <laughs> yeah. a lot you guys are like <laughs> I'm like running it's fast, a logistic you know? nightmare if you can't handle this <laughs> I mean like, I mean you know I want to you said earlier about the skateboarding and the stunt because that scene when um. Um, uh, when 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 Jimmy's skateboarding and he falls, and he like kind of freeze oh on him. I was like, oh shit, did he actually fall? <laughs> yeah. Like, is that a fake person? Because damn, yes. but um, like real as fuck. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great. It was, the editing was great. There was so much of it that I feel like, you know, that when you watch the film, I, I mean, I, this is the, and we were talking about music, and it's one of these things that I haven't gone back to watch um, Roma yet because mm. I saw it one time and I didn't like it and I didn't like it because the theater that I saw it out uh, at, is at the Neuhaus so I'm, I'm just I'm gonna, I'm gonna call them out right now because they had a fucked up screening <laughs> and and it was and just the front center channel worked oh, right what? so when you're watching it like all That's the so like, like the music is only filtering in when it's coming in the front uh, and there's uh, the, the, the off screen audio is not there but I know right. they're talking because I'm reading subtitles right. and I just feel like you don't know you only see half the movie if the audio is, right. is truncated, and and I think that there's just there's so many there was like see a what mo- you got into Joe. Oh. <laughs> well, people make fun of you know Kubrick for like you know calling a theater in like Omaha, you right. know, make sure they're playing it right. But it's a real thing. It's a real thing. You right. spend right. so much time it, trying to get so much, it right. You, you, know? you want to write because you want a, people to enjoy and it. The, though, and you know? the thing you did, I mean, it's because there was, th- there was a couple times where you had transitions that were so audio based transitions mm-hmm. in the film with like, and I was like, huh. This is like what I really love about. Right. The, I mean, it's a simple thing, but it but it it, it added so much 
to the just the, the experience of being in this guy's world, you know. And I think you just did a really, really good job. I mean, I mean, just directing wise, like that's what um, what, what me and Amy um, mm-hmm. and Amy were talking about just briefly. There's some interesting little ch- choices you made about like how to like you know keep. You know, just I always think about this when you were directing. It's like, okay, whose point of view are you in when you're watching the movie? And it's like the scenes when when Mont is with that scene when Mont is with the the realtor the, mm-hmm. the second time to go see him. Mm-hmm. Like the way you sh- like photograph that to keep that energy and that edge throughout the whole thing mm. was just like it, it's it's it's. I mean, for people, I've said to myself. Is this this guy's first movie? You right. know, I mean, because it could be, you know, because at the time I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't it feels know, very advanced. I, 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 it, just, sure. it was done really, really yeah. well. Thank you. You know, and it was just a lot that you did. It was just like. Which reminds me, they're going to be wanting you to do fucking Marvel next. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> do another one of these. Do three more of these, then do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, because, I mean, because I, no, I, I, sure. I, I feel. I mean, go up another million or two, but you know. <laughs> you, you, make, you make some money. You make some. Cause the, the, thing, the thing is this. You get to make movies after doing something like this where you can say, I want to, you know, keep making films like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the things that I, 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 I applaud that Barry Jenkins did. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that everybody were asking him to do a lot of stuff after mm-hmm. Moonlight. And uh, I'm sure they were dangling like tens of millions of dollars in front of him. Yeah. You know, but for him, for him to want to do Bill Street next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and it's like I mean, this movie and it's, 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 it's that's what I want to bring up because it's, it's like there's a there's a there's a visual vocabulary and how you use colors in this that I thought that he was doing too in Beale Street where it's like mm-hmm. I, I want to like like feel more authentic about what's happening. I I I I, I want to say there's only Jimmy who's 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 wearing red that color red in, right. in the thing. Yeah. You yeah, know, because that shirt. It, yeah, that yeah. shirt, you know, which yeah. which uh uh which had a potency to it, you know. And I and I and Mike Epps says that line about right. what does he say? I don't want to spoil <laughs> it. Like the, you know, the father from <laughs> Good Time <laughs> shirt having ass. I mean, yeah, I mean, he said yeah. he made that I was not saying I know he's Mike. That. Oh, you, you know, know when you Mike know, is yes. just like Mike, just roast Jimmy. Yeah, you heard it. You heard it, you heard it in the thing. I mean like like I mean it's interesting that Mike is in this too because Mike I feel, yeah, you know, like, like, like he gives performances when he really wants to uh, be heartfelt that aren't funny, hmm. but mm-hmm. they are, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not trying to make you laugh. I mean, when he's talking about, I'm alone, mm-hmm. but I'm not lonely. Right. He's you in this car, and it's like, that's one of those moments where <laughs> right. I felt like this was a, like, this is where yeah, you're. He's underrated. Yeah. Mike sure. is, man. Yeah. Mike is incredible. Like I, I first, when I first started talking to Mike about the part, it was so funny. He's like FaceTiming me while he's getting his hair cut. And I'm like, I'm FaceTiming Mike Epps right now while he's getting his hair cut. This is That's kind hilarious. of a trip. And he was, his interpretation of the character was brilliant. He was like, Bobby has San Francisco beat. No one else in this movie has San Francisco mm. beat because I don't want shit. Right. I don't want anything. Right. Jimmy wants this house. He's chasing this house. You know, that mm. might break his heart, but I don't want anything, you know? And he got into kind of why that might be for his character, who, by the way, this character is based on someone. This is, you know, in, in Jimmy's real life. Hmm. Jimmy was in a car at one point. This guy took his, his dad's car and drove <laughs> away. So Jimmy's always said it like, this guy drove away with my house, That's you know? Hilarious. And so Mike sort of understood both the pain and the humor in right. that. But Mike also has a connection to San Francisco that I didn't realize when I first had reached out to him. Mm-hmm. He... um he, I think, through comedy, spent a lot of time in San Francisco, 
And so, you know, the movie is peppered with a lot of locals and mm-hmm. some heroes of ours. People like San Quinn is, uh, he's a guy. Jamal. Who, Jamal Trula. I'm working with him on something right now. Really? Yeah, I'll tell you about that. I'll tell you that. It's such a small mm-hmm. world, man. Yeah, Jamal, I mean, so, Jamal, we met. Um, well, yeah, was, he'll be here on Tuesday. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, before I say how we met Jamal, yeah. just about, <clears throat> Mike was like, knew San Quinn who's like in the movie from like back in the day and was like, oh, I, you know, I know Quinn from way back when. Mm -hmm. So it was like, you know, weird how well he fit into San Francisco. Tashina also like, Tashina, you know, told us she used to come up to San Francisco when she missed New York um, and she would be filming in LA. And it was funny to hear that because I always felt growing up, when you meet kids that are from New York, there's this weird shared kinship. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just being on Muni and and they're on Subway and if it's growing up in a city, but there's something about New York kids that you feel sort of like are a lot like San Franciscans. And even her accent that she has, that New York accent, Mm -hmm. you hear that weirdly sometimes with old-timey San Francisco natives. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like their parents came from New York, but there is a regional San Francisco accent that's on the verge of being lost that sounds a little bit like New York. Mm -hmm. Um, But Jamal Trulove, man, Mm -hmm. talking about San Francisco natives. Mm -hmm. So some of the guys... Jamal's the one who got... Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Jamal plays Kofi in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Me and, and Pam were working on something. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. he... Basically, we were, we were casting kids for a rock fight scene, <clears throat> and we went to United <laughs> Players. Casting them for the rock fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had... It was fun for the kids, because they were just crumpling up paper and throwing right. it at Jimmy. That was like your audition, you know? <laughs> so they had a lot of fun with that. And we, but we went to United Players, which is run by this guy, uh, Rudy, mm-hmm. and, you know, many people that that's work why, there. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, really? What did we get? Oh, so, okay, now I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, Jamal came in and was like, you know, what's going on? What are you guys doing? And we were, we told him, you know, we're working on this movie. He auditioned on the spot and blew us away. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, this character, I relate to this character. Oh, I understand this character. And we were like, why? And he was like, told us this amazing story mm-hmm. that he had gone to jail for right. six and a half years for murder and it turns out he was wrongfully convicted yep. he was completely innocent mm-hmm. and so he told us I'm suing the SFPD right now mm-hmm. so we casted him three days four days you know before we're about to shoot he wins a 10 million dollar settlement <laughs> yeah. from the SFPD and now he's famous throughout mm-hmm. San Francisco. He's like this he's folk hero. He's in newspapers and shit. Yeah, kind of 10 million. Everyone, everyone goes to your movie yeah. now. I got $10, 10 million dollars in my yeah. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's just, yeah. you he's know. He's down here now. He's down here now. But what's amazing about <laughs> Jamal is, I mean, he uh, he's one of those people in the movie you watch and you kind of lean in. Mm-hmm. And I remember early on, one of our producers saying, where did you find him? What agency is he at? Mm-hmm. And it was like, we just met him, you know. Right. At this auditioning kids, and I think in a way, he speaks to and all that group that he's with. And Hunter's point: those are all native San Franciscans. Right. Some of them are people that me and Jimmy grew up with. How much talent there is just waiting to be discovered Dude. in San Francisco right now? You know, Who's those that guys guy are musicians. With the iPads? That's gonna. He's a rapper, so that's his real eye patch. <laughs> I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he where he is an eye patch in real life, but and Gunna is like also you know, Fillmore legend. Um, mm-hmm. Jordan and Javon and and uh, Antoine are three guys I've known for a long time. Mm-hmm. Used to make work with uh, with Antoine in high school, actually. Um, 
So, it's, but they all could act. Yeah. You know, how you see these movies, you're like, so when they get these? <laughs> well, see, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know what? It, it, right. it, it felt but they had to have moments where they were like, it asked a know, lot of them. It, yeah. You know, with a big camera in yes. your face. Yeah, first time. Oh, on I'm telling yes, you right you know? now. I remember the, one of the first movies I did. I found a guy who was he said he was a good actor, and he he did audition. But when that camera got up in his face, he mm. froze. Right. You right. Know? And I felt like those scenes with those guys in the block, it felt a lot like. The kind of energy you get in, like, um, uh, do the right thing, right? You know, like there was that kind of like, oh, this is bugging out and mm-hmm. shit. Like, that. I mean, it felt it right. had that kind of thing where it was like y- that they're fucking with each other, but it's funny in a way that mm-hmm. they're not really like oh, right, f- for the jugular. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was, it was good. I mean, I could talk to you about this all day. As I said, we could, we could be going on and on. Thanks so much, Joe. We know you got to get to oh, another man, thing. This is a treat. Yeah, man. Anytime you in LA, yeah. dude. Holla at us. We'll definitely have you on for thank sure. Thank you, man. No, thank you, know? you so much for having me, you guys. Really. Thank, you. Definitely. thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you. Andrea? Andrea? Andrea, forgive me. Um, yeah. So thank you, man. Um, you on uh, Instagram, Twitter? Anything? I am, yeah. Technicolor Talbot. That's me on Instagram. Technicolor Talbot. I love it. That's cute. I love it. All right. All right. Not a lot of ways to make Talbot sound interesting, so I had to throw a Technicolor. That's nice. That's nice. Where you at, Chris? Uh, Unauthorized CBD on Instagram and Twitter. Cool. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics to blow this crap up. Um, please follow us what? Uh, follow our Patreon page to support the show, support what we're doing and giving to you. And you can find the T-shirts on the Patreon page right now. Yes, cool. Support, so we'll the, artists. Yeah, yeah, support indeed, the artists. Yeah, support the artists. Indeed, we should we should record that right there. Boom. <laughs> Just Joe Talbot support the artist. Yeah, Chris yeah. And Hillier right say, here. Say the yeah. Kenny Rant Room with that. <laughs> um, yeah, cool man. Uh, Lisa will be back soon and all that stuff. So thank you guys. Please, everybody, go out and see um, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. The movie was freaking amazing. If you guys love, you know, indie film, uh, it's going to be indie right now. Your next film going to be like $90 million. No, he, no, no, <laughs> no. Know. He got I thought you told me not to do that. <laughs> He's sitting there with the... Uh, um, he already um, got the contract. Uh, uh, D.D. Gardner and fucking Jeremy Kleiner. He, not, he, he already doing big things. He's already doing big things. Brad Pitt's don't cousin. Think, I know. Him. Don't think he's not. <laughs> Shit. Thanks a lot, Joe. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank Thank you, guys. All right, y'all. Y'all know how we're doing on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Chris? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the rant room Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds Got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room.